This is day three of the 2008 Idlewild Bible School. Our second period teacher is our brother Anthony Whitehorn. His general topic is a life worth living. Today's topic is our response. Brother Anthony. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great stuff. Um, Well, did you see on today's green Idlewild newsletter, did you see that? There was an English column. I tell you, by the end of the week, we'll have a whole page. And by the end of the year, you'll be a colony. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you a story. It's a story about my son who's just sitting over there. And uh, when he was about 15, I I remember remember it uh, quite vividly. Um, There was a girl that he quite liked. And uh, he's now going really red. This is great. <laughs> and uh, he was, well, they're all sitting around and this girl was there. And all of a sudden, James became really animated. He became really amusing. He became vibrant. And, you know, this was the guy who used to sit at the breakfast table all morose. And, uh, and you know, it was like a complete character transformation. And um, the reason, of course, that he had had this transformation was because uh, his whole demeanour was affected by somebody else. And it had changed him completely. Let's now just think about, bear that in mind, let's think about what we've been doing so far. We started off by looking at um, our situation. Uh, And we thought about that whole idea that the cards eventually go back in the box. That life is only about getting ready to have that eternal relationship with our Father. That's our situation. And then yesterday we realised about our status. that, That previously we were down here. We're down here with a death sentence, literally, living under God's righteous judgment. Now, what I used to think is I used to think that, yes, there was a state of grace, but actually, you only went into that state of grace at the judgment time. But actually, you don't. Because it says um, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, it is now, in this lifetime, that we change our status. Not at the judge, not right at the very end, when we move into the state of grace. It is now that we are in that state of grace, that we have moved from that state of God's wrath, now to the state of grace. It took me years and years to appreciate that now, because of my decision to believe and to trust in God's grace, that now I am in that state of grace. And really really now, the purpose of this session here is because of our situation and now I'm living in a state of grace, What should my response be now that I'm up here, that I'm here in this state of grace? I believe that 
there um, are a couple of moves that happen. Firstly, there is my attitude. And there's another point as well, and that is, because of my response to living in this state of grace, it is my actions. So we are now, having decided that we want to live with God forever, and recognising that his grace is sufficient, that we are living in this state of grace, that all of us in this room here, having made that decision, have those two situations that we now must look at our attitude as a response to what God has done for us and also some actions that we should take as well. Now the actions is really what we're going to talk about tomorrow because that's our responsibilities. What I want to talk about today is very much that whole idea of our response. Now I believe that we can respond to living in this state of grace in one of three ways. And uh, I liken it, in terms of our attitude, I liken it to this. We can actually either be a stone, be an egg, or be a piece of clay. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's like a hammer hitting each of those elements. The stone, the egg, or the clay. I must tell you a story actually about this. I, um, uh, we had an evening meeting at Maidenhead and uh, we had a fair few people there and we had uh, an interested friend who was sitting on the front row. And I wanted to try and explain as to you know, what the Lord Jesus Christ does to people. And I said, you know, it's very much like having a stone, an egg, and a, a piece of clay. And I had them all there in front of me. I said, and the, and the effect that Jesus has on you is like a hammer. I said, it's a bit like, you know, yes, you could be like this egg. I picked up this egg, which was in a bag, in a, a plastic bag. And I went, and you know, it could be like this. And I hit the egg in the plastic bag really hard. Yes, the egg broke, but so did the bag. <laughs> there was this interested friend sitting right there who was absolutely covered in egg. What a disaster! After we'd cleaned him up, I then said, okay, we could be like that, but actually that's not a particular... We could be like a piece of stone. I then got the hammer and I hit the stone, the terrible thing was, is the stone broke. <laughs> so, it's just one of those things whereby things just went wrong. And, um, of course, therefore, there's, there's the piece of clay. And, and what I want to try and explain here is, what is our attitude to the effect of this state of grace? What is the effect of the Lord Jesus Christ on us today in our daily lives? I'll tell you now, it isn't like an egg. An egg just shatters. And actually, you wouldn't be here today if you were an egg. So really what we're saying is that the effect of the Lord Jesus Christ on our lives, this living in this state of grace, is one of two states. It is either your attitude and my attitude can either be like a stone or it can be like a piece of clay. 
So let's start then by thinking about it being like a stone. Now, when we think about Adam at the very beginning, we know what happened. He'd taken of the fruit and then he went and hid. And he hid because he was afraid. Why? Why was he afraid? Just think about it if it was you and me. <clears throat> We're taking of that fruit and we go and hide. We hide because we're afraid. Why? Well, because, because I've done wrong um, and because I have disobeyed God. Wrong. Let's have a look. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 And, uh, of course, isn't it lovely how God you know, comes, comes round and he says, <clears throat> where are you? Where are you? He knew exactly where he was, but he wanted Adam to confess where he was. And then in verse 10, Adam says, <clears throat> after God had said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. And why was he afraid? Because I was naked, so I hid. How strange. How really strange. He was naked, and that's why he hid. Now, that Hebrew word there is the word arum, A-R-U-M. And it literally means to make bare. And it ap appears just a couple of other times in the scriptures. One of the times is when it talks about making Edom bear. Exactly the same word. Well, what does that mean when it was making Edom bear? Well, it was talking about to disarm Edom, to making Edom vulnerable. So perhaps an interesting way of looking at this here is, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was vulnerable. And I find that in itself really interesting. He hid because he was vulnerable. And that's you and me. We don't like being vulnerable, do you? Do we? We don't like being unsure. We like to be absolutely sure of many, many things. We don't like it, and we don't like it when someone asks us something. We are very reticent to say, well, actually, I don't know. We like to say, well, this is what I think. I put it to you, therefore, that I'm certainly one of these people. I have a tendency, therefore, to, to have that, that closed mind. I love to have all the answers. And, and I would suggest that sometimes our community is a bit like that. That... Uh, we, we absolutely right, we set ourselves apart on our beliefs and that's a good thing. And we should have convictions about what we believe. That is absolutely right. John writes and he says that everyone who cares for truth and has feeling for truth hears my voice. So that is good. If ever you, any of you have read, it's a great book by Brother Dennis Gillett. And um, the, the book is The Genius of Discipleship. There is an entire chapter on conviction and the importance of conviction. 
However, there is as well a little bit of a tendency when we have conviction to also be close-minded. And we have to be really, really careful of that. And perhaps we ask ourselves, is it okay? Is it okay to be close-minded? The answer is no. You see, the Pharisees, they were like a stone. Their impression of what the Messiah should be made them blind to what he actually was. Now, I sometimes look at the Pharisees and in a strange sort of way, I sort of have, um, it's an awful thing to say, I have a bit of sympathy with them in a, because actually they weren't really bad people, they were just humans. They had lots and lots of human tendencies. They had studied the scriptures in good faith, but actually they had become very rigid in their thoughts and their minds. And then when Jesus appeared, and it, it didn't seem to be what they thought that the scripture said. They said, that's not him then. And I have that tendency. I like to put things in boxes and go, yep, that's it, that's fine, I really understand that. Right, that, that's sorted. Now let me go and sort this one over here. That's not healthy. And I know that, because I think this, when I'm sitting in the audience, I say, Abs that's just what brother so-and-so is like. He's just like that. He's so stuck in the mud. He, he won't open his mind to some of the thoughts that I've got. And you know this, the, the old situation when there's, when there's one finger pointing at him, there's three pointing back at me. And that's the challenge that we have. That's human tendency. That's what Adam was all about. He didn't like being vulnerable. I didn't like being vulnerable. I didn't like it when some, someone asked me and I say, I don't know. I like to be sure. We as a community absolutely like to be sure. We as human beings like to be sure. Don't get me wrong, it's great to have conviction. We have to be extremely careful though, not to be like a stone and have that closed mind. And that's the challenge that I put to you and me. That living in this state of grace does not at all mean closed-mindedness. It means something completely different. It's not being a stone, it's being that piece of clay. That's what we should do. And that is now really, really unnatural. When I, I've heard people talk about this before, I say, oh, I'm like a piece of clay, of course I am. I'm not. It's not how I naturally am. The challenge is for you and me to be like that piece of clay. Let's look at Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah and it's chapter 18. <clears throat> I'm going to read um, the first nine verses. It's from the NIV. So follow, follow it if you can, please. 
This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a national kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. There are three things, you know, that was required here. And the three things in this passage is, obviously, one, a potter, the master craftsman. Secondly was the wheel. That was the the conduit which enabled that craftsman to use his craft. And thirdly, of course, was the clay. The malleable material. So in our lives, when we read this, what does that mean? Well, it obviously means that the master craftsman is the Lord. That is him. He works. We, we, we realise that from Romans yesterday. That in all things God works for good. And then that is, that conduit, that wheel, when he's working, that is how he is moulding us. He is using circumstances in life. He is using, yes, the scriptures, and he is using other people. 24-7, he is spinning that wheel. But it's only going to work if the clay is malleable. How malleable are you and I? Ephesians 2 talks about <clears throat> that we are his workmanship. That word in Greek is the word poema. And it literally means works of art. God looks at each one of us here today and he says, I'm working you. I'm working you, Brother Dick. This is me working you here. Constantly working you. And you are my work of art. But I, says God, can only work you if you allow me. And I love that verse 4. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Not best to the pot, as seemed best to him. Do you know, right next to the potter's house, there was always a potter's field. And the purpose of that potter's field was this. As the potter was making his pot, Gradually what would happen is that 
the clay will become hard and it will become unmalleable. And if it wasn't exactly as the potter wanted, he would discard it. And what he would do, there was always a window from the potter's house into the potter's field. He would take that clay and he would throw it out into the potter's field. And that's where the discarded pieces of clay remained. So where do we read about the potter's field? You know it. That was Judas's blood money. So perhaps, just perhaps, and that's a lovely little link there, isn't it? Perhaps those people, perhaps you and I, who don't conform to the potter, are synonymous with betraying Jesus because that's where we're discarded. So, as a response to what has been done for us, in other words, setting up this state of grace, and we now living in this state of grace, what, what should be our state? What should we be our attitude? We should not have set minds. But we should have a mind set. We should allow the potter to mould us. And it's very difficult. I find it really hard to have that that conviction without being close-minded. Now, <clears throat> let me take a little example. What I would like this side of the room to do here, please, including you people at the back right outside, I want you all now to close your eyes. Okay? So keep them closed. Okay? And these people who keep their eyes open just look at the screen. Okay, alright, now then. Okay, now these people on the left-hand side, all of you keep your eyes closed on the right-hand side. The left-hand side here, you shut your eyes. Okay, now the left-hand, the, these other people who had their eyes closed originally, you open up your eyes and look at the screen. Okay, excellent. Um, and now then, everybody open their eyes. Okay. <coughs> Um, you here, over here, what did you guys see? Rectangle. Rectangle. What do you guys see? Circle. Circle. Let me tell you, you both saw exactly the same thing. Are you sure you saw a rectangle? <laughs> well, that's, that's really, that's just flaky. That's not, that's not even moulding. You sure you saw a rectangle? Yeah. Are you sure you saw a circle? You get into a really heated debate here, can you? Because I, I tell you now, you saw exactly the same thing. I promise you, you saw the same thing. You're now, this now is making you feel a bit more fervent about what you saw. <clears throat> You're now becoming a little bit more entrenched about what you saw. You guys are more certain that you saw a circle. You guys are more certain that you saw a rectangle. And in a strange sort of way, you're becoming a bit aggressive towards these people over here. You're both becoming aggressive towards me because you're saying, definitely they weren't the same. 
Let me tell you, they were. And I'll show you why they were the same. This actually is what you saw. You just saw it from different angles. Some of you saw it from the front, and some of you saw it from the side. But the thing is, is that we're so convinced as to what we saw that only we could be right. Just take a look at this, and immediately, you've seen it before, I'm sure. What's the first thing that you see? Do you see? Put your hands up, first of all, if when you see it immediately that you saw the young lady. Ah. And how many saw the old lady, first of all? Ah, okay. And you can now see both of them? You can see the old and the young lady? Okay, if you just can't see the old lady, the old lady, if you look at... Oh dear, oh dear, I can't do it now. Um, in the middle there is her eye. And that's her nose. Now perhaps you can see the old... Now you can see it. Okay, and her chin, that's right. Okay, they're there, isn't it? So if someone said to you a few moments ago, it's an old lady, you go, no, no, it's a young lady. They're both there. They're both there. I'm going to move on because you're going to be looking at that for a long time. I can see it. Okay, you can see it. Um, <laughs> let me go back to another one, shall we? Right, let's go back to that. <laughs> the thing is, is that what God does is, I believe, he provides us with the direction. That's what the New Testament is all about, isn't it? He gives us the direction. What he doesn't do is he doesn't say, follow these particular footsteps. And that's why we're all so different. And that's why we look at each other and we learn from each other. Uh, the, the thing is, is that um, I think that we actually, as Christians, get a lot of negative press because um, certainly in the UK, I don't know whether it's quite so true in the US, but a lot of people who are non-Christians will say to the Christians, the trouble with you guys is that you're just robots, you don't think for yourself because someone just stands up and tells you what to believe. Um, the great thing about our community is that we're not like that or we shouldn't be like that because we have different perspectives. We have some people talking about a circle, some people talking about an oblong and because of that we see a tube. We should therefore encourage lots and lots of different perspectives because it enables us to see the picture more clearly. And I believe that that is God moulding us. That is Him working the wheel with His hands changing us continually. That is why, as I said on Sunday at the exhortation, why I believe that, that Jesus chose Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. You couldn't have two different people because he wanted a combination of people. 
You see, I would suggest that we have two responsibilities as Christians on this earth. When we're here, living in this state of grace, there are just two responsibilities. I like to be simple. Here they are. The first one is we should be stewards. And we're going to be talking a lot about that in the next two days. We have a role of stewardship. And the other, the other role is one of transformers. That as stewards, we should preserve certain things that we have been given. And as transformers, we should change certain things that we have been given. But we can only transform if we have a mindset, not a set mind. Um, and we don't like it. We don't like change. Uh, I know some of you at the, uh, the Palm Springs Bible School, um, I'm not going to do transformation here really at all. Um, and and that's what that was all about. I talked about be transformed. That is an obligation that we have. We absolutely have to change. If we haven't changed, then we are not fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. And we don't like it. There's a, a, a friend of mine who's actually a Baptist. And I thought, this is interesting how similar this is. And he tells the story about um, the light bulb. Um, <clears throat> and he says, he says, oh, at our church, we say, how many, he's a Baptist, he says, um, how many Baptists would it take to change a light bulb? Change? And I'm thinking, yeah, I have some feeling about that as well. And then he said, oh, and we also have another one. He said, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? It takes ten. One to change the light bulb, and nine to say how good the old light bulb looked. <laughs> we don't like change. We're not good at it. We like to be sure. We actually like to have a set mind. But here is Jesus and God poking us and challenging us and saying, you're in this state of grace, right. I'm going to change you. The disciples didn't like it either. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse uh, 21 down to 28. This is the situation about the faith of the Canaanite woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Very unusual for Jesus to be up north um, in the area of Tyre and Sidon. Um, really wouldn't have gone there. That they, the, 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 the Jews then didn't go up to Tyre and Sidon uh, at all at many times. But here is this woman who approaches him. 
and calls him Lord. And that is the word kunios, which is um, master and it's a, a figure of reference. And of course, she calls him son of David. She understood exactly his, his situation. And this, her daughter has got epilepsy. And what does Jesus do? He ignores her. Here is Jesus who ignores this woman. How strange. Throughout the scriptures, you don't see that, do you? When people cry out to Jesus, Jesus doesn't ignore them, he goes to them. Why is he doing that? Is he testing the woman? Or is he testing the disciples? She's disturbing us, they say. We want some R&R. And Jesus in verse 24 confirms, confirms their set mind. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Absolutely. Absolutely, the disciples would have said. Told you, we are the chosen people. That's what all the scriptures says beforehand. We're the chosen people. Therefore, the Lord has come only to us. And Jesus confirms that. But it seems to me like Jesus was poking his disciples. Because there was this persistence of a woman of a woman for her ill child. Now we don't actually know as to whether any of the disciples had children, but I suggest that some of them might have done. And they would have seen this woman pleading for her child who had epilepsy. Why? Why did Jesus allow that? Jesus is not vindictive. Everywhere else, whenever somebody pleads, Jesus responds. But not on this occasion. Therefore, I would suggest, it is not for the sake of the woman. It is for the sake of his disciples, his followers. And this woman was feisty, was passionate. And here is Jesus trying to challenge his disciples, saying, you've read your scriptures, I know you have. And you lot believe that I've come only for the chosen people. Let me show you now. I'm going to challenge your set mind. And the faith and the love overcame that set mind. And Jesus healed this woman. This is, I would suggest, all about a an attitude of stone on the part of the disciples. When you, when you look at Jonah, you know, <clears throat> Jonah was visited and God said, go to the Assyrians and say the Assyrians are going to be annihilated. You would have thought Jonah said, yeah, I'm, I'm there. We hate the Assyrians. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? We read about in Jonah chapter 4 that Jonah knew about God's grace and that the Assyrians would repent and God would save the Assyrians. So Jonah said, there is no way I am going to the Assyrians to allow your grace, God, to be poured out on non-chosen people. That's what the book of Jonah was about. It was a man who had a complete set mind. He believed that God should only work and show his grace to the chosen people. Just a little aside, isn't it lovely how it is Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, who was at Joppa, 
where Jonah was when he was visited by the dream of all the unclean and that of course was God saying to Simon son of Jonah that actually my grace extends to everybody perhaps that's a lovely little link between the two and that's the answer because the book of Jonah almost doesn't finish because Jonah doesn't learn the lesson of the difference between a set mind and a mindset so brethren and sisters what response should we have to what has been done for us well yeah we should be stewards but we should absolutely be transformers we should absolutely change you know how it is when you're, far, when you're growing up your dad says lots of things doesn't he doesn't he <laughs> and it's tedious he has all those pet phrases my dad had lots of pet phrases what I've noticed actually as I've got older so my dad has got wiser because one of the phrases that he used to say to me was it's not how far you've got that's important it's how far you've come that's important and if we recognise that we are now living in a state of grace we have a responsibility to change our attitude and our attitude must absolutely be allowing God to work dramatically in our lives if we think we can do it we just become like hard pieces of clay if we say actually I can't do this God I need you to work in my life all of a sudden my life becomes hugely interesting because I'm allowing him to work actively day by day through his spirit in my life the love that has been shown to us demands a response absolutely demands a response we can have a set mind we can be like stone and actually we could be and have a mindset and be like clay the thing is is that with a set mind being like stone that's like the whoa no no stop let's go back where are we hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on we need to come back here oh here we are there we go so <clears throat> the Pharisees had a set mind that's the natural state as well but that's the human way that's you and me that's where we are we have this attitude of wanting to know the answers however we are challenged here today and throughout our lives to have a mindset to have a, a mind which is like clay and in doing so we are followers of Christ continually being moulded by God every part of our life and if we accept that and recognise that that works in two ways one it works in first of all our attitude and once we have that attitude of being moulded then it works in our actions 
And we're going to be talking about the things that we should be doing in the next two talks. But today, we must make sure <clears throat> that our attitude is correct. And our attitude is being like that piece of clay which God can mould. And if we realise that, boy, is our life dynamic. In fact, our life really becomes a life worth living.